Are you struggling to determine what's ethical and what's not for your business or practice? It may be because you haven't delved deeply into your why, your why for your business. Called by many a unique and deep approach, the Why Workshop is a self-paced $77 mini course that guides you in a multifaceted dive into why you do what you do. The resulting ahas can become the heart of your brand and filter all of the decision-making in your business. Go to defythestatusquo.com forward slash the hyphen why hyphen workshop to learn more. Okay, but where's the line between me and my prospect, between me and my client? What is my client or prospect responsible for and what am I responsible for? That's what we're talking about today on the podcast. The division of responsibility between you, your prospect, you, and your client. So let's go ahead and get into it. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Defiant Business Podcast, and I'm your host, Ruthie Bowles, founder of Defy the Status Quo, a branding and marketing consultancy. This podcast is for the business owners and professionals who have seen the status quo in their industry and are ready to do things differently. We're here for the contrarians, mavericks, and rebels. On the Defiant Business Podcast, we'll talk about marketing, sales, client and customer experiences, finances, and amazing entrepreneur journeys that show that none of us are alone. Thank you for joining me. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of the Defiant Business Podcast. I'm your host, Ruthie Bowles, and today we are going to take a look at the division of responsibility between you as the coach, consultant, or online service provider and your client or your prospect. So looking at the division of responsibility when it comes to the coaching and consulting relationship takes some serious work. So this is, you know, going to be pretty philosophical. There's going to be you know, lots of theory here, but the only reason why it stays in the realm of theory is because I can't tell you what your line is or where it is. You have to commit to drawing that line in the sand yourself. So in episode 239 about the, you know, price transparency in the industry, we talked about a little bit about what forms the foundation of your ethical decision making. We're going to go a bit more into that today, and I'm going to share some of the things that may inform your ethical decision-making perspective. Now, keep in mind, I can't tell you what informs your perspective, just like I can't tell you what your ethics are. So that's why I'm going to share some of the things that may form your foundation, but you have to actually identify those things for yourself. Then I will explain how I apply my perspective to my thoughts on this concept, the division of responsibility between myself and my prospects or clients. So what could be part of your ethical perspective? What could form the foundation of your ethical decision-making? Well, the first one is easy, but it's not. Values. So I'm talking brand values, what you say your brand values are. I'm talking about your personal values. The reason why this seems easy at first is because we're like, oh yeah, integrity, honesty, respect, and stuff. But we use vague words for this. These are big words that evoke a lot of emotion and meaning to each person who hears them, but these things may have different meanings to the people who hear them. So it's important to ask yourself, what do words like integrity, loyalty, selfless service, respect, etc. mean to you? 
because when I say that integrity is really important to me, when I say that respect is really important to me, uh, it may those words may mean something different to you. And so you have to get really granular about what they mean to you before you can figure out what they mean to other people. Another thing that may form your perspective or be a part of your perspective is your culture. So for example, it's just been my observation that Eastern and indigenous cultures tend to place the well-being of the community over the individual, whereas Western cultures place a lot of emphasis on individuality, right? Um, So as a result, we may actually see less connection in, in Western cultures because of how that kind of pans out. And I guess I don't want to lump all Western cultures together, but definitely based on my experience here in the United States, right? It's not that community is not important in the West and it's not that the individual is not important in the East, but there is definitely a difference in how those things are prioritized. So moving into the next pillar, potentially of your decision-making perspective, uh, your religion or spirituality. So even if you're not religious now, values taught to you growing up may have stuck. If you're spiritual but not religious, like I am, you can examine the pillars of your spiritual beliefs to explore how they've influenced your business approach. But, you know, religion, spirituality, these are things that are very important to us. So one of two things I think tends to happen when I see people, you know, either talk about this or not. It seems to be that either people divorce their religion or spirituality from their work or they incorporate it quite a bit. Now, in terms of incorporating it, it's important to make sure that you're not using it as some type of prop to lure people in, of course. But, um, you know, it's important to stay aligned. If if your religion or spirituality is incredibly important to you, but you're acting out of alignment with that, you are going to feel that cognitive dissonance. And so, you know, it's going to be very uncomfortable. Outside of religion or spirituality, you got to look at what other beliefs. So beliefs is the next one. You got to understand what you believe to be true. And so these might be, you know, kind of those axioms or things that people say, like every man for themselves. It's a dog eat dog world out there. Are people mostly bad? Are people mostly good? These are questions you have to answer for yourself so that way you can understand how your decisions form. Oftentimes we come to a decision without questioning it without walking back to see how we got to that decision. And experience. What experiences are you drawing on as you encounter different situations? Experience is useful as long as you remember that this situation is not that situation. There are similarities, but you must also pay attention to the differences. So our brain really, really, really likes to try to predict the future. It likes to predict what's going to happen next. And as a result of what's going to happen next, how are we going to feel about what's going to happen next? And what type of thoughts typically race through our mind after what happens next? So your brain relies on past experiences to try to predict. And so that's where mindfulness and being you know, self-aware and as well as socially aware comes into play. Because while this is a natural inclination of your brain to help you survive, it's really important to try and predict when that you know, saber-toothed tiger is going to come out and bite your face off. But that's not the situation you find yourself in, you know, like 99% of the time, I guess 100% of the time since saber-toothed tigers are extinct. But, you know, it could be a regular tiger. Anyway, I digress. That's These are all important things to consider because your brain is trying to predict based on what it knows from before, what it's experienced from before, and, you know, any patterns 
real or not, that your brain has assessed to happen, you could be making decisions from a place of autopilot or from a place that is riddled with logical fallacies or cognitive biases if you do not walk yourself back to the source of your decision making. So talking about myself, okay, uh, some of the things that inform my perspectives, questions I had to ask, what do I owe my prospects just for existing? That's ethics. What you owe people just by existing. That's the biggest ethical question we can answer. So I believe that I owe my prospects. I know I owe anybody in my audience, I owe my prospects a neutral and supportive environment to make a decision. I owe them transparency and honesty. And I owe them confidentiality and trust. Okay? In terms of trust, it's like, well, yeah, of course they should trust you, but I also have to trust them. I have to trust them. And we'll talk a bit more about this as I, you know, actually my very next point kind of goes into this, but I have to trust them. And if they become a client, then I owe them the very best, my skills, my experience, uh, my energy, all of those, the very best of those things that I have to offer within, you know, the, within our agreement. So one of the other things that's, and I mentioned this in episode 239 about price transparency when we talked about this, is I believe in our sense of agency or personal agency, personal sovereignty. I believe in that. A sense of agency or personal agency is our feeling of control over actions and their consequences. We feel as if we're in the driver's seat when it comes to our actions. So manipulation that infringes upon someone's perception of reality actually robs them of their agency. So that's what I mean by trust. When I said that I owe my prospects confidentiality and trust, it's not just that they can trust me. It's that I also have to trust them because... Because the very next thing, our prospects are powerful beings with amazing potential, right? I can't believe that you are a powerful being with amazing potential. A powerful being has already accomplished amazing things and also infantilize you, right? My clients, my prospects don't need me to rescue them. They may feel as if they want or need my help, but they are capable of making that decision on their own. They are coming to me to help them figure out questions like this. But I know that with some questions, some tools, teaching them some tools, things that they may not yet have in their toolkit, questions they may not yet have thought to ask themselves, I know as soon as the question is presented, they have the power, they have the capability to work through it. So what am I responsible for? And keep in mind, that's what I said. What am I responsible for? I didn't say, what are you responsible for? Now, if you hear what I have to say and think that maybe you are also responsible for those things, cool. If you feel like you're not responsible for those things, then we, for example, would not make good business partners. But what I said here, what am I responsible for? Keep that in mind, please. Like, it's not that, I, again, I'm not telling you what you're responsible for. That's that's really important. Like for all of these episodes, it's it's really important that you understand that I'm not telling you what you should be responsible for. I am telling you what I believe I'm responsible for. Do I think that other people should also feel this way? Sure. But that's the nature of my our human perspective. We think that our perspective is the best one, usually. Even when we think it's the worst one, we think it's the worst of the worst, i.e. my situation is worse than yours. So what am I responsible for? I'm responsible for my actions and behaviors and whether or not they're in alignment with my ethical perspective. I'm responsible for providing the best I can to my clients within our agreement. I'm also responsible to do better once I know better, incorporating my lessons learned. So that means 
I don't have an experience with a client, learn lessons from it and intentionally don't improve my program. I make time for that. So I've got some questions for you to consider, right? Based on what I've shared. Now, again, this is from my perspective, but if I believe that we're all powerful beings connected to consciousness and capable of making the right decision for ourselves at any given time, should I be using fear-based or income claim marketing? And I actually want to add something. I'm going off script now. <laughs> I'm going off of, I'm going away from my outline. But when I say capable of making the right decision for ourselves at any given time, people think like, well, Ruthie, what about people with mindset issues? Yes, I put issues in air quotes. What about people with mindset issues? What about people who are feeling really desperate or they're in a place of fear, right? Like, aren't I supposed to help those people on my sales call or whatever? Okay, so here's the thing about that. You have to respect where other people are in their journey. You have to respect that. So if your marketing is clear, right, your marketing does not engage in fear-based marketing or income claim marketing, and on the sales call, you ask the client questions about their situation, about what they think is getting in the way, about what their idea of success is. And then you present, okay, this is what I do. I do think it's a good fit. Here's why I think it's a good fit. And here's what it costs. And that person cannot come to a decision. Then that is where they are at in their journey. And you have absolutely no right to manipulate them for what you believe to be the greater good. I'm given some silence. I gave some silence there on purpose. <laughs> But you have no right to manipulate them for what you to believe the greater good. It's a disrespect for where they are in their journey. They at least have to be able to say yes to you. And I go back to my metaphor of, you know, waiting for drunk people to come out of the bar, right? That's not consent. That's not consent. So if you start your relationship with these manipulative questions, these emotional anchors, and get them to taste and hear and, and visually feel or to visually and, and like tactily feel their hopes and dreams, also get them to bring up their fears in a very vivid way, you've put them in a very emotionally charged situation. And so this goes into my next you know question. If I believe in personal sovereignty and respecting agency, should I create a high-pressure sales environment that's been crafted to lead to one right decision? If I say I'm staunchly against the manipulation of someone else's reality, should I rely on logical fallacies, cognitive biases, and half-truths in my programs to keep my clients occupied and the blame away from me? Is it really always the client's fault? Really? Was it really their mindset and not the quality of what you presented in your program? What <laughs> The quality of what's presented may be being a bit outdated. <laughs> Was it really oh, I just, you know, I had a bunch of clients who just didn't want to do the work. Was that really what it was? That's what we're going with? If I believe in giving my clients the very best of my skills, experience, and insights, should I continue running a program where only 10%, 15%, or even 20% of people see success? As an aside, why are we okay with those numbers? Clients are responsible for doing the work. Don't get me wrong. But I want to know specifically why every person felt like they didn't quote-unquote succeed with my program. That's what I would want to know. Are there lessons for me in there? Is there something to look out for in the future? Is there a problem with delivery? Is there something I should tweak about my ideal client profile? If, if I look at the 20%, let's say it's 20%, 20% of people who succeed with my program, 
and they have a lot of commonalities and similarities. And there's some some differences between this 20 percent of people who seem to succeed and or who consider themselves as succeeding and the 80 percent of people who don't. Then maybe I'm, I'm my market's too wide. Maybe I need to look at how I can niche down further and make everything about my program more specific and who it serves. Because if I do that, then maybe I go from 20% to 80%. Maybe we flip those numbers. Maybe more people see success. All in me getting more specific about who I serve because I let in people that I could not serve the best. And what that means is not that you're leaving them hanging out to dry, but that they are then free and uncoupled to go find somebody who's better suited to help them. Shoot, maybe you're able to grow your network to such an extent that you may be able to make solid recommendations for people who are better equipped to help the the 80% of folks who show up and don't see success. You could refer them to someone else before they ever handed you dollars and experienced disappointment. Now, this is a lesson learned. I'm not saying that you're going to know this from the start. This is a lesson learned. And that's why I say I'm responsible for incorporating my lessons learned because that is, how, that is part of how I give my very best to my audience, my prospects, and my clients. So understanding where the division of responsibility is in your mind requires you to know your mind. You can only answer this question for yourself. Where is your line in the sand? Clear understanding, though, on your part leads to clear articulation to other people. You may find that others agree with you once you've discussed it, or that they may understand even if they don't completely agree, which is okay. It's important to go beyond a vague feeling of righteousness or wrongness here, though. You can't go, it just doesn't feel right to me. Why? I mean, you can, but why shouldn't you? Because your inability to be specific Your inability to articulate opens the door for you to be led astray from your values and how you truly want to behave. If a tactic or approach has been bothering you in your industry, take some time to sit with it and go deep on why. And this could be through journaling. You could do a stream of consciousness, uh, speech to text if you want so you can get it written down. But go deep on why and record it. Why does this tactic bother you? Which of your values does it fly in the face of? What's your alternative? Do you need an alternative? Maybe this is just something we should all stop doing. (laughs) So learning how to ask yourself the right questions can help lead you to the answers that you seek. And that's one of the big things that I'm working on as we move into this, what I believe is still this paradigm shift in the coaching and consulting industry. That's what I want to help people do. So thank you so much for joining me today. Since I hope this episode got you thinking, if you've got a question for me, feel free to use our SpeakPipe link in the show notes or go to defythestatusquo.com to send me a voice message. It's perfectly easy and you don't have to download anything. You might hear your question on a future episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Defy the Status Quo Biz, and the link is in this episode's description. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.